Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. How did you spend your weekend? On Saturday morning, I lay on a beanbag the size of a football pitch. On Saturday night, I walked through a ring of protesters chanting shame. And on Sunday, I watched Rose McGowan take to the stage to challenge the totalitarian state. Any guesses? It's London Fashion Week. You're listening to Fashion Unzipped. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Charlie Gowans Edmonton. With me in the studio today are Bethan Holt and Victoria Moss, and Lisa Armstrong joins us on the phone. If you were in central London this weekend, you might have noticed a few people incredibly overdressed in high heels, sequins and feathers for the day, having their photographs taken by a baying mob of paparazzi. Behind those people was the Telegraph's fashion team, wearing jeans and trainers. <laughs> speak, speak for yourself, Gowans. <laughs> I saw you only in flat shoes, Miss Moss. Hey, we're Although, total peacocks. Well, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you're saying. They were pink velvet flat shoes. They were shoes. pink velvet Dries slippers. I'm so sorry. Slander in the uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Although today, I look, I look around me. You can tell it's the end of London Fashion Week. Both of you wearing black. Yeah, yeah I, this is my... Can I point out my crystal-covered black trainers? Is that a Christopher Kane? It's a Christopher Kane crystal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a trainer. Someone went to a so sample j- sale. <laughs> so jazzy. <laughs> <laughs> Last night, the world's fashion media watched as Burberry's new creative director, Ricardo Tiji, revealed his debut catwalk collection for the British Heritage brand. Lisa, what did you make of Burberry's new era? There, were, there was quite a lot that was that could have been... From, from the previous era, in that, you know, there were trenches and there were um, beautiful leather skirts and there was a whole sort of what I call the bon chic, bon genre sort of section of bourgeois, um, sort of um, slightly librarian slash 1970s Jackie O chic, which I love. Little pleated skirts, polka dots, pussy bow blouses, Really great. And then it sort of segged into city boy slickers, which I love, sort of like young city boy gents. You could kind of imagine them maybe if they had taste being lured by this. Mm-hmm. Then there was all the street stuff, you know, that we knew Tisky was going to do. And lots of different plays on, on the trench. Obviously, there was some evening wear, skinny, black, slightly goth, slightly from his era at Givenchy evening wear, slightly underwhelming maybe. It was really clever because he ticked all the boxes. There was really pretty much something for every market there. I can't imagine somebody, if all that makes it into the stores, I can't imagine anybody going into Burberry and not finding something, frankly. Well, I think my own reactions might suggest that it has a a hint of that genius thing where the first time that you see something, you don't like it. And then you start looking a bit more and you're like, oh, uh, oh, oh, maybe. But now I've seen some pictures. Certain elements are growing on me. How did it feel, you know, in comparison to 
the oh, old very Burberry. Different. Okay. So first of all, we all know those great big set shows that Christopher Bailey did. He changed them slightly latterly, but you know, traditionally they were in in the park, weren't they? They were in Kensington Park in those um, great big um, transparent tents. There were mega mainstream celebrities. Well, this, scrap all that, this was in South London, in Vauxhall, right by the new U.S. Embassy, which is an amazing building, by the way. Uh, it was pitch black when you walked in. You couldn't see a thing, especially as I, I, I'm, I was wearing my, um, my spectacles yesterday, my transitions ones that go from dark <laughs> to light. So um, couldn't see. It was pitch black. Oh, God. Um, everybody was going. And, and, and also, we'd been told to get there any time after 4. For a 5 p.m. fashion show, everyone will know that that's unheard of because shows are generally, you know, 20 minutes late with a fair wind. I mean, two hours late if they're Mark Jacobs. So, uh, so we were all there at like quarter past four. And, and then the show was about 25 minutes late. But that's because, ta-da! As the show started, or just before the show started, all the darkness was swept away. I don't know what they did. There was, you know, they, they were blinds. I suppose there were blinds up on the ceiling. They all disappeared, and suddenly the place was flooded with light. And it was really lovely. Uh, but apparently it had all the mechanisms to do that. It hadn't been working. <laughs> so they thought they were going to have to do the whole show underneath that very dark box. It was, a very, it was what Ricardo used to do at Givenchy. And it's also what Tom Ford used to do at Saint Laurent. It's what Hedy Slimane did at Saint Laurent. So it's definitely, you know, that's a thing. But I so much prefer it when it was light. Anyway, it was quite clever because you sort of thought, oh, this is all going to be different. I don't know if I like it, but it's all going to be different because it's all black. And then suddenly it was all light, which actually goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. There was a continuation here of what Christopher Bailey did, which is also smart because, you know, it's um, this is a brand that was selling two and a half billion plus pounds a year so you're not you don't want to wipe all that away I, I think where there's going to be a big uptake is in Burberry bags because that was always a weak link in the chain at Burberry they somehow were never luxury enough and he's he's immediately done some that look really sort of swanky and I can see I mean they're, they're going to be all over influencers and celebrities in the coming months i imagine are you did you want to buy anything lisa did you see anything that really jumped out yep i want one of those cinched in trenches and i'm a sucker for a chiffon skirt and he did beautiful ones actually the leather ones were really really nice as well but i'm trying not to wear leather clothes bit tempting (laughs) (laughs) i think they'll cost a fortune so that's all right i think my favorite show this season was probably roxanda uh partly because it was just such a heavenly way to start my Monday, you know, at the Serpentine Gallery in Hyde Park. And the colour palette was just beautiful. You know, there were these really rich shades of orange and coral and soft blush pinks, beautiful striped blazers, really full skirts that kind of fell to just above the ankle, so the perfect length for wearing with a boot or a sandal and really flattering great knitwear I just loved it but what does everyone else want to buy I mean not that you know that's my dream wardrobe Roxander I'll be buying the Zara version sadly but (laughs) (laughs) for me Saturday was a really great day there was um I I I really like Simone Rocha I always love her shows but I often think well it's it's not for me because it's too voluminous and uh, you know puffy skirts not really my thing but she'd done slimmer volumes and 
just beautiful prints and I thought that was great. I don't know about anyone else. I, anyone who can make a beekeeper hat look incredibly chic. Yeah. Oh my gosh, don't you want to keep bees? I mean, even more than before. <laughs> and I want to keep bees. At Erdem as well, beekeeper hats. A thing. I know, it's a thing. It's a trend. Listen, I've always said big brim in the summer to keep the sun off your face finally they're listening exactly you don't need spf lisa you've been i've said this telling... <laughs> i also really loved um the backstory at erdem which was he was inspired by um uh, fanny and stella two sisters who lived together in bloomsbury in the 1860s slash 70s only they weren't sisters they were two men they were sex workers as we would say now and um, and they were lovers, and apparently they were very very um, urgent sex workers as well. They got hauled up at Bow Magistrates for um, gross indecency in 1870, but acquitted. Interestingly, and 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 Adam said he was fascinated by the idea that beneath all this Victorian propriety, you know, there was so much subversion going on, and um, it was really fun in the show because they were all wearing these long Victorian dresses with leg mutton sleeves, high neck blouses, and you thought, wow, this is this is really modest. And then suddenly, as one went past, I saw some very hairy legs, and I thought, hmm. <laughs> and it was a man, but, it, but but beneath the veiled hat, it was quite difficult to tell. A lot of people missed it. Anyway, it was it was um, his sort of homage to um, Fanny and Stella, not their real names. Um, can't remember what their real names were, but... I love seeing that in the context of the National Portrait Gallery as well, because I think... Yes, and, and yeah, apparently the Na- National Portrait Gallery has got, a, you know, a big archive of um, of Victorian sort of <clears throat> subversive photographs like that, because um, it was a really, really interesting period, because there was obviously, it was we know it for being so conservative and swathing piano legs in muslin, so that you couldn't be offended by a piano leg. But also there was... You know, obviously people are humans are humans and they have sexual drives and desires. And I'm just trying to remember John Fowles' book, you know, The French Lieutenant's Woman, when he says there were there were more brothels per person there, yeah. I think, than at any time in history. But that always happens, doesn't it? You know, where there's a where there's a, a, an action, there's always a, a, a negative reaction to anything. So if you're going to really repress people, then you are going to get this underground of really wild stuff's going on but I just loved that backstory so often when you go and interview a designer and they give you some abstruse references you think well yeah it's got nothing to do with the clothes and but it really did feed into the clothes and anyway it's just such an amazing story it's just it's just a film waiting for Rupert Everett or Stephen (laughs) Fry to produce (laughs) I loved as well because I feel like we talk so much now about gender in, in fashion and, and gender fluidity. But often that comes out as sort of androgyny, doesn't it? When we were waiting for the show to start, Bethan's, uh, you know, we were quite excited. Erdem's one of, I think, all of our favourite shows, mm. certainly one of mine. Um, and Bethan said, oh, yes, but it's going to be androgyny this season. And I said, oh, God, no, I don't want it to be androgyny. <laughs> because what we love about Erdem what I love about Erdem is these kind of sweeping dresses, the crystals, the bows, this kind of lavish beauty that yeah. he does and so well. There. And we it still have there. that. Yeah. It just, you know, isn't solely for women. No. no it's like, I've seen men standing outside the shows dressed in very lavish bows and dresses. and <laughs> you, you, you just realise it's not new. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. 
Nathan, what was your highlight of the weekend? Oh, loads of highlights. Um, I'm, I don't think one particular show stood out. I did really... I did really like Roland Murray's show, actually, if we're talking about things that we would want to wear. Just some really lovely kind of fluid tailoring, amazing dresses, just the cuts and the little surprises. There was this beautiful um, kind of silk navy trench coat and then it was just had this like amazing cutout at the back. I mean, I'm always a sucker for a kind of a great fluid suit as well. And I thought there were some really nice ones, actually, in Amelia Wickstead's show. Yeah. There was lots to wear wear at London Fashion Week, wasn't there? What's on your dream shopping list, Vic? It was all very wearable, I think. There was lots that you kind of could look at and think, oh, that would would work. I love J-Dub Anderson for his pirates. Um, Because I thought he did quite a cool take on... Wearable pirate. Wearable pirate. Yeah. Um, You heard it here first. But quite a cool take on (laughs) stripes and navy and... With a cutlass. And, yeah, of course. Know, a Jolly Roger. Yeah. You don't somewhere. want to be caught short without a cutlass, do you? No. <laughs> I've, got my, I've got my parrot ready. <laughs> Actually, who was it in New York? Oscar de la Renta. They had parrot. They had parrot yeah. handbags. Three's a trend. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> one more. Like, one more. <laughs> um, and I really liked, in Christopher Kane, there was this very cool look. And she was in sort of like a, a blue, almost like a dad jean and trainers with this really fabulous white shirt with lots of big giant crystals on it. Can I ask everyone, because that show really divided yeah. the jury, the, the trainers that sort of had heels, yeah. mm. I'm going to say right here, I want those. Yes. But I'm, sure. I mean, that is, that's an ugly shoe, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean... It's not for me. Yeah, I do not want those. You're, me, you're welcome to them, Lisa. <laughs> oh, okay, Bethan. The sandal Bethan, was good too, though. I'm surprised at this divide, actually, because Lisa and Bethan yesterday were both wearing brown mock mm-hmm, croc, mm-hmm. like... Tiny yeah, heel you know, shoes. Identical, really. My feet really. are still suffering. My feet are still suffering. So you need the trainer. Um, I, no, I love the trainer. And all summer I was in trainers and, you know, bouncy sandals. And, and I thought, oh, I'm really giving my feet a sort of holiday in time for the shows. But in fact, my, my feet have gone on strike. They just yeah, want to go back on holiday. <laughs> it's really annoying. Those trainers uh, reminded me of, um, do you remember back when Victoria Beckham was a wag? Um, she, she, went on a, she went on a baseball pit. It was when they moved to LA, they, she went and played baseball. And there was this picture of her in like wedge trainers. And that was what those brought back to oh me. Speaking of the many faces of Victoria Beckham, uh, Victoria Beckham's 10th anniversary show came to London Fashion Week this weekend. Um, yeah. She's come a long way since the Zigazig R days, although she did celebrate. Uh, there's a video evidence of this by dancing to Spice Up Your Life at a private party at Mark's Club after the show. Lisa, what did you did you go to Victoria's first show in New York? When when did she first did. come onto your radar? Um, well, it's funny because she said to me when I interviewed her at the weekend, she said, um, "I remember you at my first show. Which do you remember? It was in the uh, the, the, ha- the mansion house that." They filmed Carrie and Big in when after they were living together. They were living in some fabulous apartment with, you know, mega closets, because obviously mega closets were the, the most important thing in, in, in life back in 2000 or whenever. But that wasn't her first show. Her first show was, was tiny little presentations. She did them at the Wardoff store. She took a suite. And I remember she would see groups of six fashion editors at a time. So she must have done them over about three days. Uh, that was her very first um, sort of, presentation i think maybe she meant the show show which probably was in that mansion house but was anybody 
taking her seriously at that point as a fashion designer? By the show, by the show in the big apartment, yes. It was a definitely watch this space. The clothes are nice. But, I mean, when we all went to see her, no. I mean, we weren't... No. I, I mean, it was... Just, do you remember back at that time? I mean, everybody was doing celebrity collections from New Look and m Do you remember the Patricia Fields thing they did with m As she did with m and And, and um, you know, a lot of them lasted about five minutes. And they were very much aimed at a mass market. They were very cynical, cashing in, you felt, a lot of them. Um, there I was mean, nothing high-end. She was the Lily first Allen one to do. Lily Allen did one with New Look, I remember. And, I mean, honestly, every celebrity was doing them. And nobody really took Victoria Beckham very seriously as a stylish person. Because, you know, just before that, she'd been wearing a bright... I mean, I remember that fuchsia Roland Bure galaxy dress with the matching Burke. I mean, <laughs> and the pop. Oh, the you pop. Know, the pop. <laughs> the pop. Um, but what did you think of, of this weekend's show then, the 10th anniversary? I really loved it. I think maybe the pictures, maybe the pictures, it probably doesn't, I'm not sure what you guys think. I, when I looked at the pictures, I thought, they don't really do it justice, because it was full of pieces you'd want to wear. And as we all know, those don't necessarily make the strongest statement on a catwalk. But I, I, the trouser suits, there's lots of tailoring, all that lingerie dressing. It was quite Celine-inspired, but it was beautifully done. A long, sparkling, sort of patterned cord skirt and blouse that was beautiful. I liked the layering. I loved the way the dresses were layered over shirts. Bias-cut dresses were layered over shirts, and and um, there were... There were short tunics as well in a sort of like a bright orange satin there was long short wide narrow again it was very very customer focused and i think designers in the past have been sort of a bit apologetic about doing that which is ridiculous she really really wants and needs this brand to be a commercial success and not just a sort of vanity project as it were and it should be because you know we all know there's a there's a there are despite the thousands of shows, hundreds of shows we go to, there, there aren't loads of labels that are catering to a certain kind of woman with who's got money to spend, wants really good quality, but doesn't want... She wants to be fashionable, but she doesn't want to be making a, hey, I'm wearing the latest asymmetric, you know, shirt with one sleeve look. She doesn't want that. So um, there, there's a gap, and I think she could she could fill it. And yes, she said the casting was very important. There were older mm. models as well as the youngest. It was the first time Stella Tennant had ever done her show. And I always think Stella in your show is a sort of a mark of, of intent. Because Stella, she, she doesn't ever, she always looks like Stella, doesn't she? She doesn't wear very much makeup. She just looks so authentic. And she's, you know, in her 40s and not having loads of stuff pumped into her face. She just, she's she's very inspirational from that point of view and um it's when you see stella open the show you think yeah i think i'm going to be all right with this so someone at the other end of that kind of journey towards fashion credibility is alexa chung so she's long been hailed as a tastemaker and i've certainly bought pieces from her but when she launched her own brand i mean that was quite a different challenge and actually after her show, this was her debut catwalk show at London Fashion Week on Saturday morning. And I went backstage after the show and she kind of said 
she wanted people to take it seriously and she wanted people to realise that she wants longevity for her brand. This isn't another collaboration. This isn't going to disappear. But whereas Victoria has very much evolved her style into this fashion plate that she sells, what Alexa is selling is what she has always worn, really. I mean, there was a PVC Mac in there. I bought the M&S Alexa Chung PVC Mac. They've appeared in kind of every collection she's ever done, pretty much. What did everyone make of the show? I mean, I thought there were some lovely looks in there, but you could almost be like, oh, you know, that's the sort of the Bianca Jagger suit and there's the Jane Birkin. And, you know, obviously Alexa has kind of made herself the modern um, vessel, if you like, for those kind of vintage um, and there was plenty points of, of inspiration. There was plenty that I wanted to buy. Yeah. It is, it's that uphill struggle for her now ahead, yeah. isn't it, that Victoria Beckham has gone through of getting people to stop seeing you as Alexa Chung, you know, TV presenter slash DJ slash model and start being... I think it's interesting your point about um, the way that Victoria's very much developed her own style along with the brand. And if you look at her now and you look at her when she began with those shift dresses, there's a huge difference and a huge, I guess, education in dressing and wardrobing and what women need. And I think... I didn't go to Alexa's show, so I, I haven't seen it live. But I think looking at the pictures, it is, it's very Alexa. And I think that is great because she always looks stylish and cool. But I think equally that gives it quite a narrow focus. And in terms of people buying into it, I don't think there's anything that I would necessarily want from this. Um, but maybe because I'm a bit older and I don't look like Alexa Chung, I don't know. So I think that could be tricky I think what she needs to do is is to sort of broaden her range a bit and think beyond her own singular style because Victoria while she always takes it from her but she does develop it and she talks about women and different women and having a short skirt and a long skirt and it's it's just a lot more comprehensive I think the offer I, I, I agree with you completely, Vic. I mean, when I went to see the first collection and Alexa taught me through, and actually there was loads that you or I, or, or women of all ages would wear, but I think that got lost in this show. And I think it is that thing of, oh, we've got to do a show, we've got to make it look sexy. So you take a perfectly nice sort of sundress, a tea dress, and you unbutton it sort of to the breastbone and shirt over a teeny pair of knickers. And it's like, mm. I, I think... What we have to remember with Victoria Beckham is that she has always employed the best stylists, the best hair and makeup. You know, she's she's hired designers from Celine and various other really great brands. And on the one hand, people in the fashion industry say, oh, well, you know, um, that that's a bit derivative or whatever. But on the other hand, they also really like the end product because it's, you know, Victoria's getting help from the best. And I think uh, Alexa, you're right, she has to decide is it going to be, you know, this is something Lauren Santo Domingo said to me, actually, once, who has um, Modo Operandi website and is a very wealthy socialite who wears lots of fabulous clothes and looks amazing and sells to women who have lots of fabulous clothes and look amazing. Anyway, she said to me, you know, she has conversations with up-and-coming designers all the time, which is, do you want to be cool or do you want to sell? Yeah. <laughs> and I think Alexa's collection on the rail is, well, has been great, but I don't think the show, I don't think the show necessarily was its best representation. I think what is extremely impressive with Alexa is the intent is absolutely there. Like, you know, she's absolutely, she's at her studio 
every day. She she has employed some brilliant designers and, and business people to work with her as well. And I think, I mean, she's only a year in, so it's, it's maybe yeah. at a, a very different... Um, Bethan, you interviewed her in the run-up to her show, um, aptly named Arrivals and Departures and set in a wooden clad, definitely for the flyer who's turning left, I would say. Here's what she had to say. So hello, Alexa Chung. Welcome to Fashion Unzipped. We're here just ahead of your first London Fashion Week show. How's it going? You excited? I am very excited. I'm also slightly apprehensive but that's only because of the mechanics of the stuff we have to kind of get through before we show at 11am so we still have to do the casting we still have to make sure that this configuration we've come up with works we've been quite ambitious with our set and we just got to make sure that it actually works basically what's your airport style (laughs) well basically I've taken to um, wearing pajamas to the airport like full-blown pajamas and then putting a sensible raincoat over the top of that and then crucially shoes which don't take an age to undo and do up again that always irritates me when people have got rookie shoes on at an airport I'm like dude it's a slip-on come on um and then yeah some kind of scarf is always good I think because planes are always set at like a thousand degrees colder than you want them to be I'm making airport clothes sound really dry I'm sorry Considering I've just designed a collection around this, I should probably get a bit more jazzy. Um, for, but for me, yeah, they're basically kind of quite glamorous places. And I quite like to dress like a character at an airport because I do a lot of people watching myself there. And I always like to try and imagine someone's story based on what they're wearing. So if I'm at an airport on one of my better days, I'll wear like a full-blown suit or something incongruous with travel because I think it's quite funny to wear, you know, a dress and heels in that context. I'm the only one finding that funny, but whatever. You've got thousands of pieces probably from your own collection that you could wear now. How do you kind of mix them up with other brands and how are you liking to style your your clothes? I've always worn a mishmash of stuff, like vintage jeans with, uh, you know, Topshop blouse and then some kind of Isabel Morant jacket over the top. So, yeah, it's the same approach as ever, which is if one of my you know, shirts or trousers happens to go very nicely with a vintage T-shirt, then I'll just chuck it on. I think that one day I'll realise what the mathematics behind my approach to dressing is, but currently it's still just an instinctive reaction to what kind of mood I'm in that day. What have been the biggest joys and challenges of starting your own brand? I'm still kind of giddy when I walk into this office at the idea that I've actually pulled it off or managed to actually start the company I always dreamed that I would get to work at one with my own name emblazoned on the door no um the most joyful thing in this whole process for me is usually when the first few items come back from the factory and they actually look how you imagined them in your head because that that sounds it well it is easier said than done um and then you know it's a company with quite a vibrant energy to it I like a lot of the people I work with if not all of them I should say and uh, we get to yeah make these incredible moments so I think our party will be one of them our fashion show will definitely hopefully be one and the challenges are just the same challenges that everyone has which is just trying to communicate yourself is quite difficult sometimes you're like you know it looks exactly like this and then describing what's in the brain or trying to draw it in stick figure 
to people is quite hard. Oh, and also learning to sort of say no or be like elegant about negative feedback because at the beginning of this company, I just felt a bit like I had imposter syndrome and wasn't able to kind of say how I felt without offending people because I'm a chronic people pleaser. And then I've become a bit more adept at, or I've learned the value of doing straight talking things because that ultimately benefits everyone. You don't want people wasting their time on something you've said that you quite like it, but actually two weeks later you'll be like, oh, sorry, I didn't really like that, I just didn't want to say. It's like we don't have time for being unnecessarily polite to save feelings because it just makes it worse later on. Have you been following the shows at London Fashion Week? What did you love or hate? Get in touch with your opinions, questions and feedback at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. And visit telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashion for more new season style advice. We've nearly reached the end of the episode, but before we go, we've just got time to find out what everyone's excited about this week. Lisa? I'm very excited about um, going to Milan and being in 29 degrees of heat and everybody's in turmoil about, oh my God, what are we going to wear? Because we can't wear all our new clothes. Uh, but I never got around to buying any new clothes, so I'm just going to uh, dig out my summer clothes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Vic, how about you? Um, yeah, me too. Sunny, sunny Milano, gelato and pasta. Bring it on. Yeah. And Prada, obviously. No, Gucci, because they're, they're, they're moving to Paris. So we yeah. have to wait till next Monday to see that. But um, Milan always throws up some, some sort of piece of fabulousness, doesn't it? Yeah, I feel, like it's, I feel like it's going to be good. I feel like it's been quite exciting so far this season. Is anyone going to be there in time? Um, they're actually doing a dance performance with Michael Clark's I know. choreographed this I'm, amazing I'm, thing, I'm Gucci Art. Not, not, I'm not going to be there, there in time. No, it's at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> hey, but are you there? You're not going to go? Going for dinner. It's Michael Clark. Victoria Moss. Mm-hmm. Pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Pasta, Michael Clark. Pasta, Michael Clark. Oh, yeah, decisions, decisions. <laughs> Bethan, what are you excited about this week? Well, on Saturday, I am going to London Fashion Weekend. Uh, the Telegraph has a new partnership with London Fashion Weekend. Um, and I'm not going- just going. Well, no, I'm chairing a panel talk um, about body image and body confidence um, with two really interesting guests, um, a model called Maxim Magnus, who's a transgender model, you know, talking a lot about her place in the industry, and Charlie Howard, who is, I hope she won't mind me saying, a plus size model. So we're going to be having a chat about um, body issues. And, you know, I think this always really comes up a lot over Fashion Month. We all when we're looking at the catwalks, you can't help but look at the women who are who are wearing the clothes as well. Um, and just seeing Grazia's um, fashion issue today, which has got a, a gang of um, disabled women on the cover, which I think Isn't is that amazing. Great? Yeah, it's fabulous. That Brilliant. Cover. And Beth, and this is off the back of a piece that you wrote um, for the Saturday magazine, the Telegraph magazine. Yes. Um, about your own kind of body image issues and growing up and yes yeah so I had um, anorexia as a teenager um, and you can read the piece to to get more more background on that and I think maybe we'll talk about it another time on the podcast but um, as a fashion editor now you know obviously I do have that sort of you know perspective on um, what people might be 
taking from the images that they're seeing. Although I'm very adamant that I don't think you can automatically see a picture of a, a thin model and then, you know, that makes you become unhealthily obsessed with food yourself. But I think all these images are nevertheless extremely important because it's it creates the culture, the visual culture that we're all immersed in, especially with Instagram now. It's, it's just like a million times what it was when I was a teenager even. And it's really easy to get kind of swept away in show season, I think. Actually, that's what I'm excited about this week is my moments of headspace, which come via podcasts. I love podcasts. Funny that. And actually on Sunday, um, in between shows, I ditched you all um, because I love you, but I'd seen too much of you. Um, and I just went and got a Niswa's salad and sat for 40 minutes. And I listened actually to um, Dolly Alderton's Love Stories podcast with the comedian Sarah Pascoe. And it's, it's brilliant. Basically, she asks these different guests about their kind of first love, unrequited love, um, everlasting love. And it brings out these really intimate stories of, you know, teenage unrequited love. And, and I, I don't know, I just found myself kind of relating to each moment, but also it giving me a little bit of perspective on the whole, you get sucked into the love of fashion a little bit during Fashion Week. And it's quite nice to take a step back. And to that end, I can also recommend BBC Radio 4 have a podcast called Seriously. Basically, each episode is about something completely different. I listened to one that this is this beautiful interview with the writer and illustrator Judith Kerr, who wrote um, yeah. oh, when Tiger Who Came to Tiger came Exactly, to and When Hit the Stole Pink Rabbit. Um, and it's lovely. You can you can literally hear her in her studio, you know, pouring the tea and, and this conversation which goes on across a couple of different meetings and she talks about, you know, leaving Nazi Germany and then she's just written these beautiful children's books and and illustrated them and working with her husband who was also a writer and hearing about her love story and her loss. What um, an amazing life. Yeah. So podcast obsessed and that's what I will be listening to more of those on the plane out to Milan. And also, you know, when you guys get too much for me in the car, I might just put my head sure. in. Sure. Wow. <laughs> no offence taken. Yeah. I'm, I'm into Jonathan Van Ness from, uh, from Queer Eyes podcast. I didn't know. If I podcast, may. Please well, tell me everything. It's, I mean, it's basically he sort of um, debunks something every week. He's on Brexit. He's on um, the Middle East crisis. I mean... Oh, wow. It's um, it's is, broad. What it's is broad. American queer eye presenter Jonathan Van Ness's view on Brexit? Well, no, he gets in <laughs> experts to explain it to him. So it's like he oh, breaks right. everything down and is like, "What is this all about? And why should we care?" <laughs> okay. In a hilarious but also very informative style. Bookmarked. Consider it bookmarked. There you go. Thanks for listening. Check back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped. Thank you.